Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. As I came to chapter 8 in Joshua, that's kind of the theme. Failure is a reality of life. It's a certainty. We all fail. The Bible declares that to us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's failure. To not do what God says is, is failure. We look at the Bible and we look at spiritual giants that we read about, you know, and there's a long list of them. They're all spiritual failures. Consider Noah. He was a drunk. Consider Abraham. He was a liar. Jacob was a conniver. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was a coward. David was an adulterer. Solomon was a womanizer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Moving into the New Testament, we see Peter was a denier. Thomas was a doubter. Martha was a worrier. The Samaritan woman was divorced four times. Saul, who became Paul, was a persecutor. The list of failures goes on and on and on, folks. And somewhere in that list belongs your name. You are amongst the many who have failed. The question is not, will we fail? The question is, when we do fail, what do we do? How do we move beyond the fall? How, what do we, how do we approach that, the failures that we experience in life? Failure is not the end, folks. I love what Erwin Lutzer said. He said, God is a specialist. He is well able to work our failures into His plans. Often the doorway to success is through the hallway of failure. Our Heavenly Father is a gracious God. And somehow, in spite of our best efforts and failures, God somehow works all that we do into this master plan that He has for us. We don't understand that, but we trust it. We believe it because the Bible tells us that. I'm here to tell you that you need not fear failure. You need not let your past failures of your life hold you back from what God has for you today. We serve a God of second chance. Amen? And you know what? He has a great plan for us. And He uses our past failures for tomorrow's successes. Somehow, some way, God makes good come out of bad. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. If you would open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8 with me. Joshua chapter 8. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. Again, if you're joining on the stream, we want to welcome you as well. Or if you're listening to this podcast later, welcome. Uh, we are currently, again, studying through the book of Joshua in a series I've titled Arise. And uh, we, we've seen some incredible things happen. And the children of Israel are coming into the promised land. And we see their very first spiritual success where they have this battle at Jericho. Uh, they were faced with, you know, this unimpenetrable city and yet God said just follow my plan and I'll give you victory and so they did and yet they would face major failure early on right after Jericho it's as if the children of Israel came to a screeching halt the momentum that they had gained from the battle at Jericho was lost as they came to take up this little city of Ai Oh, they had 3,000 or so soldiers. The children of Israel felt like, oh, this is no big deal. We got this. And yet there was sin in the camp. 
And the Lord told them before they went into uh, Jericho that they were to not take anything from Jericho. They'll leave all the spoils for the Lord. That They all belong to God. And yet that, that, that declaration, that command by God was violated. And so when the children of Israel went up against Ai, they failed. And they failed miserably. Ai was a bug on the windshield of Israel. And yet they were defeated. Israel was defeated by them. And the entire nation was filled with fear and despair. The defeat was not a matter of, of power or might. It was a matter of disobedience and not following what the Lord had said. They essentially defeated themselves because of the greed of one man named Achan. Again, he robbed God of the spoils of Jericho and, and thus the Lord withdrew His hand from Israel as they went up to Ai and they lost 36 of their, their cherished brothers in battle. The account of Ai is a message of warning. The Lord doesn't tolerate sin in the camp. He tells us, hey, you need to deal with your sin. It's not that God has no um, patience for sin at all, but it's that God has no patience for sin that is not dealt with. He doesn't allow us to just sit in our sin and allow us to just continue on as if nothing's wrong. We can worship God freely, no? There's a break in fellowship in the church as we, as we sin. There's a break in fellowship back in, in the Old Testament. When they sinned, there was a process they needed to go through. There was a sacrifice. For the Bible tells us that there can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The children of Israel, they had a process to deal with their sin. And yet the sin of one man, unrepentant sin of one man would, would plague the nation of Israel and would cause them to fail. The Lord is reminding us in this battle at Ai that sin cannot be tolerated in the Christian life. It hinders the blessing of God from the standpoint of productive Christian living. Sin grieves and quenches the Spirit of God. But there's something else that we learn from this battle at Ai. We learn that the account of Ai is also a proclamation of hope. It reminds us that the, that, blessing, that the blessing and productivity can come when sin is confessed and dealt with. I'm calling this message today, Moving Beyond the Fall. And my aim is to help us understand when we do fail, when we do fall, how we pick ourselves up and dust ourselves up and continue to go forward. How we deal with failure from a biblical standpoint. Stand with me if you would please, and we're going to read Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 there. Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we read, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you, and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we know that you have something to speak to every single one of us. 
as it relates to this idea of moving beyond the fall. We've all fallen short, Lord, and yet we thank you that we can stand today in the grace of God, given through your Son, Jesus Christ, and his blood that was shed on Calvary for our failures. And we thank you, God, that we can find hope in the midst of our failure. And today, Lord, I'm praying that you would release those who have been plagued by their past, that have allowed their past to bind them up from moving forward into receiving the victory that you have for them, Lord. We ask now in Jesus' name that you would speak directly to us by the power of your Spirit, Lord, and you would reveal the grace of your Son today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's four things that I want to show you in Joshua chapter 8 that relate to moving beyond the fall. The very first one we find in verses 1 through 3 there that we read was past failures tend to create fear, but God says have faith. Past failures tend to, to create fear, but God says have faith. When we fail at something, we tend to become gun-shy. We tend to become timid. Not that there's anything wrong with being cautious, or, but we have to be careful that fear doesn't paralyze us from moving forward, from moving beyond the fall. We have to get back up. We have to dust ourselves off. We have to continue on the journey that God has for us. Israel failed, yes, for sure. But now what? What do we do now? We see at the end of chapter 7, Joshua addressing, or the Lord addressing Joshua. And he says, get up. Get up. And now is not the time to lay down. Don't you dare give up now. Yes, you failed. Let's deal with the sin and let's move forward. That's what we see there. Sin has to be dealt with. That's the first step. And moving beyond the fall is dealing with the sin in your life. We talked about that last week. We talked about the idea of the need for repenting. The need for being restored by God in our relationship with Him. Uh, we see various accounts of God restoring people in the Bible. God is faithful to restore. You are not the anomaly in that equation. God can restore you in your failure. And he wants to do that today. He doesn't want you to allow that failure to hold you back and allow fear to enter into your life to where you're totally paralyzed and he can't use you anymore. Listen, God can work through all of your failures. Take Jonah, for instance. Now, this guy is probably one of the biggest failures in the Bible. He had no love for people at all, the lost. He didn't want to bring the message of hope to the city of Nineveh, did he? The Lord commanded him, you go to Nineveh, you teach. You, say, you, you bring the message. It's a message of condemnation, but you bring it. Jonah went the other way. No way, I'm not going that way, Lord. I'm going my own way, and he failed. And yet in Jonah chapter 2, in the belly of a great fish, Jonah cries out to God for forgiveness. There is a repentance in his heart. He says, Lord... Help me. And when you come to Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, the Lord tells him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God heard his prayer, and God restored him 
and sent him on his way. God can do the same for you. He wants to do the same for you. You know the account of Peter. He denied the Lord three times. There's a guy that walked with Jesus. You might be walking with Jesus for 20 years and you fail. And the Lord would say, hey, I want to restore you as he did Peter. Peter was his right-hand man. He said, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. See, I mean, Peter was the guy he was going to build the church through. And yet, he failed. He denied the Lord three times. And in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Jesus restores Peter the very same amount of times that that he denied Jesus. He asked him this question, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. It was a restoration of Peter and his failure to acknowledge Jesus in those moments where he denied him. The Lord told the church at Ephesus in their failure of leaving their first love in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We are restored through repentance. Once we repent of that, now we're ready to move beyond the fall. And oftentimes that's the hinging point. If you're anything like me, I think you probably are, you repent for sin and yet you have a waiting period where you're waiting for God to forgive you and you beat yourself up a little bit until you feel like you've beat yourself up enough until God is, you, then you receive his forgiveness. That's not the way repentance works. The moment you repent to the Lord of whatever you've done, there is instant forgiveness. And the Bible says that not only does God restore you in that moment, but he doesn't remember your sin. So why would you remember your sin? It says he cast your sin as far as east is from the west. He remembers it no more. God restores you and he says, let's just move on. I don't need to focus on that. I, I'm going to move forward. Let's move forward. Let's move beyond the fall. And so I would say to you today that you know maybe you have this form of repentance that's not really biblical. The Lord says when you come, if you confess your sins, 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins... God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness in three days? No, it's instantaneous. The moment you confess your sin, God cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He restores you to that right right relationship with Him. Once you have done that, you're ready to move beyond the fall. Israel is now ready to move beyond the fall, but something's hindering them. They're fearful. They're fearful. Yes, they've repented. They've been restored. God says, all right, let's go. Let's move beyond the fall now. And, and, and the Lord tells Joshua in verse 1 there, but there's fear in your heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. At the battle of Aragon, which you saw on the screen, they were afraid. We see that they were encouraged. Don't be afraid. You move forward. The Lord is with you. Why were they afraid? Because last time they tried this, it didn't work out for them. But understand God is going to give you the same test He gave you. You may have failed in it, but He's going to give it to you again and you need to walk through it and He will give you the victory. So you just follow Him. You do what He says. The Lord assures Joshua and the rest of Israel 
that they can trust him and that he is going to see them through, that they do not need to be fearful, that they ought not be dismayed. That means to be disheartened, to be filled with terror. Listen to the words that the Lord promised him. I have given you AI. Nothing to do with them. I've done it. I've already gone before you. The victory is yours, not because you're strong enough, not because you repented, not because you did all these things, because I've given it to you. Listen, the Lord's going before you all the time. Every victory that you uh, experience in your life, every success is a result of what God has done before you. He is, he is um, you know, he's forged the path for you. All you simply need to do is walk along the path that he made for you. You want victory in your life. You follow God and you trust him and you have faith. Now notice what it tells us there. It says, hey, bring everything though. Don't you hold back any of the men. You bring them all. What God wants for us is to bring everything that we have to, to the table when we worship Him, when we serve Him, when we read the Bible. We, he just doesn't want us halfway checked out like, hey, I'm here physically, but you know, mentally I'm somewhere else. God says, no, you got to bring it all. You want victory in your life. You need to bring everything that you have. And it's this imbalanced uh, you know, partnership we have with God where He says, I'll meet you where you are. I'll make up the difference. And in some cases, there's nothing you can do as it relates to sin. God did it all for you. And yet, in many other cases in your life, you step up with what you have and God meets you with the rest. That's what he told the children of Israel. He said, listen, just like I gave you Jer Jericho, I'm going to give you Ai. Now notice, it says the spoils. Now I'll go to Israel. Now I can't help but think of Achan in this moment. When the Lord had declared just one battle um, after Jericho, the very next step that he said, now you guys take it all. I don't want any of it. You take all the spoil, but Jericho belongs to me. See, oftentimes the devil will tell us that God is trying to hold back on us. That's what he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's what he does with you all the time. He's a great deceiver and he tries to, he tries to get your eyes on, the, on something that you desire and say, God's trying to hold that back from you. You know, that's why he tells us not to do it, but you should go ahead and take it yourself. And when you do that, when you, when you step outside of God's will and you partake of the thing that he told you not to do, what ends up happening is you have to do it in secret, don't you? And it's not enjoyable, is it? Because, you know what, you're doing it outside of the will of God. Achan, yeah, he took, he took some silver, he took some gold, he took this, this fly Babylonian you know, garment that he had, and he, he didn't even get to enjoy it. He buried, he buried, buried it in, in, in his tent. He would have been able to fully experience that. And if he would have just waited, if he would have just waited till chapter 8, he could have gotten all the spoil. And yet, the decision that he made in chapter 6 caused the judgment to come down on him in chapter 7, which he never, ever experienced chapter 8. And some people in the Christian life live that way where they never ever, they don't trust God that there's another chapter where he's saying, if you'll be obedient to me right now in this moment, I've got something better for you, but I want you to obey me. That's, that's the reality with sex. You know, with, with the booty, right? You know, this is booty, that's booty, whatever. But the reality is, is that's the way it works. You don't have sex before you're married. And when you're married, you don't have sex outside your marriage. God says, listen, it's not ever 
you, it's not that you won't ever be able to do that. It's just not now. You have to wait for that chapter to come in your life. But when you do wait, man, is it a blessing. You don't have to deal with all this other garbage, this baggage that comes along with disobeying God and trying to live outside of his will, thinking, being deceived to think that that will fulfill you in some way, which it will not. The Lord would tell you, wait. He tells us to wait on him. He has something better planned. He created the world. He created you. He created marriage. He created every relationship. He knows how to deal with those things and how to really bless people. And so in, in the idea that the world would tell us God is trying to hold something back from you in that realm, he would tell you, no, no, it's not, you know, I'm not holding anything back from you. You just got to wait for the next chapter. Achan missed out big time because he didn't wait on the Lord. He, he robbed himself of the blessings that God had for him. Listen, wait on him. Wait on him. God will bless those who wait on him. He's not holding back on you. God is telling Joshua to rise above the fear and have faith. That's what will move you beyond the fall, having faith that God will do all that he said he would, and he'll never fail you. Past failures tend to create fear, but God says have faith. Number two, if you're taking notes, past failures can be used for future battles. Not all is lost when we fail, folks. God can use your failures. Check this out in verse 4. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are, um, who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people uh, to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces. The main encampment was north of the city and its rear guard uh, west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled to, in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Check this out. God uses the first failure at the battle of Ai to bring success in the second battle at Ai. 
he uses the, the same tactic. He, he, he tells them, hey, you guys go out. We're going to act like we're being defeated. We're going to flee, and we're going to ambush the city from behind. The Lord uses the past failure of Israel for their future success. Oftentimes, we feel all is lost in our failures, as if God isn't big enough to use them, and yet He is. The story of Joseph shows us that. The failure of his brothers. When they went and they, they threw him in the hole, remember? And then they sold him into slavery and he went through this horrific, you know, kind of journey of, of being risen up and b- thrown back down and risen up and thrown back down. And, and yet, God had a plan in all of that. And it came to the place where Joseph, where God had used everything that he went through to cause him to become the second most high in, in, in all of Egypt. And it came to the place where his brothers would face him, where they were in need. They didn't know it was Joseph. And he revealed himself to them. In those moments, they remembered their failure, no doubt. They thought, oh, we're doomed. He's going to kill us. And what does Joshua say to his brothers? Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He was like, guys, I, I understand you're sorry. I know that you know that you failed, but God used it. But God had a plan in it. There was success in their past failures. And yet, the fact that they, all of that happened was really, ultimately, what saved their life. You realize that. They were in a severe famine. They were coming to try and get what little food they could get from Egypt. They were going to buy what they could buy. They were going to eat as long as they could eat. And then they were going to die. And yet, God used their failure for their future success. The devil would tell you that you can't do anything if you fail God. Oh, he's a perfect God. He's, he, he needs perfection from you. And when you don't meet perfection, he, you're unusable by God. That is baloney. God understands where we are. And it's the grace of God that meets us where we are. Not that the standard drops. But again, as you step up and you bring everything that you can bring to the table, he meets you where you are. And it's all at the foot of the cross. And Jesus said, I paid for every failure that you ever failed. I I paid for it all, and so let's move forward. You repent, and you move forward. I wonder how God has used your failures to work out for his purposes. You may never see it, but understand, that's exactly what's happening. God told Joshua uh, when they drew near to that city to withdraw, just like the last time, and then they were going to ambush the city behind AI and then from the west they would come and they would just make this gigantic AI sandwich and they would be done it would be over when we fail not all is lost the truth is uh, that's how we move beyond the fall today is that we stop beating ourselves up over what we've done and we recognize that God is bigger than our failures that he can work through them that he can use them in some way to do something good in our life, in our future. Thirdly, we see the past failures are overcome with outstretched arms. Look at verse 18 there. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin, that's 
in your hand toward Ai, and I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place, and as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and, and, and cre- uh, captured it, and they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. They had no power to flee uh, this way or that way, for the people who fled in the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came um, out from the city against them so that they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. Uh, When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them uh, to the very last had fallen to the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. And he hanged, on the, on the, and he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded that they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city, the gate of the city, and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands to this day. The command was simple. Verse 18, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that's in your hand toward Ai, and I will give you, give it into your hand. That's how God proclaimed victory over Ai, is through outstretched arm. It might seem weird to you, but that's exactly how God delivered the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. You remember, through outstretched arm. It was Moses when they were backed up at the Red Sea. And Moses falls down on the ground and he's like, Lord, why would you bring us out here to only have us die by, these, by, the, by the hands of the Egyptians? Why would you do that, Lord? And again, the Lord says to Moses, get up. What are you doing? Stand up and rise up your staff and, watch the, and divide the sea so that we can part through it. You know, oftentimes we come to a roadblock and we give up. And the Lord would say, no, no, that's the time you start to stretch your arms out to me. And you know what? You worship me no matter what you see. The Lord would say, stand up, arise. Look for the way. He always provides a way. Joshua understood the power of our outstretched arm. He understood that in the midst of being in, in the clutches of the enemy, how God can use outstretched arm to bring victory. Joshua Chapter 8, verse 26, he understood it so much that it says there that, but Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. It would have been easy for Joshua to say, man, I have no reason to, to you know, reach out my arms. I'm not worthy, Lord. I can't reach out today. I can't stand up and proclaim victory. Look what I've done. 
look what we've done. But Joshua chose to trust the Lord and to stretch out his arms anyway, probably even when he didn't feel like it. And God would tell you in the midst of your biggest despairs and in the midst of your biggest failures is when you need to start reaching out the more. When you need to start lifting your hands up to Him and you never stop worshiping Him. No matter what you've done, you just continue on and you, you, you get right with the Lord, but you continue to worship Him because listen to me, the enemy will tell you you're not worthy. He'll continue to tell you like, hey, you, you don't belong here. You shouldn't be along. People don't come to church because they're not perfect. Well, welcome to the club. You know, we're, we're not perfect people, are we? But yet we're worshipers. We continue to worship the Lord, outstretched arms because it's not because we're worthy, it's because He's worthy. It has nothing to do with what we've done. Did you approach the Lord in salvation on your own merits saying that you were worthy? You didn't. Jesus declared your worth as He stretched out His arms upon the cross. And that's where your worth is found, through Him and through Him alone. So don't allow the enemy to deceive you into thinking that somehow, some way, your, you know, you know, your Christian living is, is, is all of a sudden become the, the determination of whether you're worthy or not. And when you fail, you're not worthy to worship God. And, and when you're doing good that you are worthy, you're never worthy. Never. The only reason you're worthy is because God sees, when you lift up your hands, He sees His Son. That's the only reason. And I'm thankful for that today. And let us not ever forget that. That it's because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross that we can stand before the Lord at all. In fact, the Bible tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace. That we can make our requests known to the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. Don't fool yourself into thinking that now all of a sudden you're worthy. You're not worthy. In fact, <laughs> Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 some of you know the verse. This is what God thinks of your righteous deeds. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. Does that sound like you're worthy? Doesn't sound like we're worthy at all. And yet God loves you. And He loves you far beyond your failures. He said, I want relationship with you. That one of the songs we sang said, God didn't want heaven without you. That is the truth. He loves you that much that He said, listen, I know you're unworthy, but I'm a gracious God. I give you what you don't deserve. I want to give you life in that more abundantly. I simply require you to come with everything you are. All of your failures. Every single thing that you are, you come before me and you, you lay it at the cross and you let Jesus Christ and, and His life, death, and resurrection cover you and bring worth to your life. The truth of the matter is, we're never worthy in the first place, but God declared to us that this, this idea, just as He did with the children of Israel in Isaiah 1.19, He said this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You think God wrote that to rhyme? I like it. Listen, we are soiled people, but God makes us unblemished. Jesus Christ, He said, I want to reason with you at the cross. It's the only place that you can reason with God. You will never reason with Him on your own merits, ever. 
But he says, the place that I will reason with you is on Calvary, where the blood of Jesus Christ was spilt. It's not even the blood of goats and bulls that will do it. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15 say this, but when Christ appeared as our high priest, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood, the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of, of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without a blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called by many will, by, by, those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You and I only worship you and I are only worthy to worship through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Don't let your past failures stop you from outstretching your arms to Him today. Don't let your past sins stop you from worshiping God. You simply repent and, and worship Him even when we feel unworthy because Jesus paid the price. Listen, the answer to moving beyond the fall is found in outstretched arms. Because he's the only one that can do anything about our deal, our sin, our failure. And he wants to use it, and he can use it for your future success. God wants to let his grace flow down on you. This brings us to our last point here. Past failures should prod us back to the word. Past failures should prod us back to the word. Look at verse 30. And at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered it on it burnt offerings of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written, and all Israel, sojourners as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And after he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, that's the whole council, after he read it all, According to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. After the victory of Ai, they marched some 30 miles right into smack dab into the middle of Israel, this place called Shechem. It was at Shechem that they built an altar and it's where they would worship the Lord, right in the center of Israel. I find that interesting. They would just go right in the center. Now, this was commanded 
before Israel even stepped foot into the uh, promised land. It was Moses that gave the command in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28. He said, when we come to this place, we're going to build an altar. We're going to make sacrifices. We're going to read the law in the center of Israel. The center of Israel will be the place where the law is being proclaimed. And there is cursing and there is blessing in it. But we're going to do that and it's going to filtrate all through the land. We want the center of Israel to be on God's word, upon his law. And so they came to Shechem and and Joshua built this gigantic um, altar just as he was commanded to do. It was on Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal is known as the Mount of Cursing because it was there that this altar was built and then the, pronunci- uh, the, the, the pronouncement of curses of the law from there. But it was on Mount Gerizim, which was just on the other side there, they were to proclaim the blessings of obedience. But the altar, where the law was, where the sacrifices would take place, was on the Mount of Cursing upon Mount Ebal. And it would be there that the righteous requirements of the law would cause blood to be spilt for the forgiveness of sins. It's a picture of the cross where God would say, listen, the law never ever goes away, but there has to be sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, an unblemished sacrifice to cover the law completely for you and I. It's not through the blood of goat, bo- uh, through goats and bulls, but it's through a perfect life lived, never violating the law, one that would give up his life for the sake of many. It's speaking about Jesus. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ upon the altar of God, upon the mercy seat of God that would cleanse us from all of our sin, from the cursing of the law being a reality for our lives. Because without Jesus, there is, there is no blessing. Without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there is no blessing. There is no inheritance. There is no eternal life with Him. There is eternal life, just not with Him. It's a picture of Calvary, what Jesus would do for us. God doesn't want us to be damned. He wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to be cleansed. He wants us to be His children. Don't ask me why. I know you and I know me, but he wants to spend time with us. He loves us. It's an amazing thing. Don't take that for granted. He loves you. Listen, no matter what you've done. The word, Joshua understood the importance of the word of God. And so he read it, all of it, bad and good. And, and he led the people back to that place. This was the promise, or this was the instruction that God gave uh, Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Yes, he gave him the promise. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I, I've given you just as I promised to Moses. But verse 8 in chapter 1 says this also, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God cares about His Word. Even today, even though we're Christians, even though the church has been birthed and we're in the age of grace, God cares about His Word, and He cares about His people living according to His Word. He cares about that. Yes, we're in the age of grace, and grace covers us, even every single failure, but that never, ever takes away 
our, what, what should be our desire is to shoot towards the goal. We should be trying to live to the standard that he called us to. And it's in that that the world sees us. And they go, man, you're different. You're not perfect. And you proclaim that you're not perfect. And yet you do live differently. You are sanctified. You're set apart. It's important that we stay true to the word of God. Because in this day and age, people, it's, you're going to be challenged on that every single day of your life. I mean, that's why they're taking things out of um, schools and, and different things like that. That's why our culture is becoming less and less about the Word of God. We've got to strip it away from every single you know, government monument that we have. We're going to take it all down because the Word of God is what the enemy wants to remove from us because he understands the power of the Word of God. The Word of God is active and alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is able to speak into your life like no other can. Why wouldn't the devil want to take the Word of God out of your lap? Why wouldn't he want you to focus on many other things other than the Word of God? Because he understands the effectiveness of the Word of God as somebody just comes and approaches it simply and just says, Lord, speak to me, and then applies it into their life. Listen, your past failures should drive you to the Word. What does the Word say about what I did? Yes, I have forgiveness, but I don't want to fall into that again. And it will keep you from falling into those past failures. That's what David wrote in Psalm 119. This is a guy that knows sin. I'd venture to guess that none of you have killed anyone. He killed someone. He had an adulterous affair. He, he did many, many bad things, and yet the Lord said, even after that, David, you're a man after my own heart. I love you. You're the apple of my eye because God is a God of grace. And he looks at our heart, and, he, and although we're not perfect, he covers us in our sin as we come to him by faith. But listen, the reality is, is that you know, your failures should drive you back to the word. They should cause you to come back to the word and then apply what the word says. Listen, when I'm failing in my life, I like to go to the book of James. And I like to just hear it straight up. I don't want it sugar-coated. I want to hear what God has to say to me straight up. I don't want the sugar-coated message. Hey, God loves you anyways. Coddle me a little more. No, no, I want the straight truth because I'm, I want to grow. I want to grow beyond where I'm at. I love reading the book of James because he says it like it is. Listen, you say that you have faith. Well, show me your works because you can't separate the two, you know? And, and he talks about the trials that we go through. There's many, many great things in, in those five chapters. I love the book of James. But the Bible as a whole is a wealth of knowledge for you and I in every circumstance, every situation in life, even our failures. And God would remind you that he's a God of grace in those things, but he would also say, but here's the standard, live it. Just like Jesus said, you're forgiven, now go and sin no more. Well, how are we going to do that? How are we going to go and sin no more? It's through his word. It's through hiding his word in our heart. That's what David said in Psalm 119.11, right? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the word of God that becomes the defense for you. So when you start to focus on yourself a little too much, you go, yeah, I don't like the way those people are talking about me, you know, and you start having your own pity party, and then you start, that's just the way the enemy starts to, weigh, uh, starts to open you up and starts to get your guard down, so you start focusing on yourself. Then you can start talking about how you're not getting everything you need and how God's not meeting you where you are and all that kind of stuff. That's how he works. You got to defend yourself against him. Paul says, take every thought captive. 
Take every little whisper, take it captive and run it through the filter of Scripture and get rid of it if it's not of God. It's the Word of God that is going to help us in our future to not make the same mistakes we've made. Past failures should prod you back to the Word of God. Be a man, be a woman, be a young person of the Word of God. It will make your way prosperous, just as the Lord said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. If you keep my word, you will prosper. There are many, many promises in the Bible that are conditional based on your keeping his word, many of them. If you do this, then I will do this. Here's a great one. I love to use this with my kids. Children, if you obey your parents, you will live a long life. I like that. If you don't, no, I'm just kidding. But honestly, there are many, many promises that are conditional. We want to keep his word. We want to live in the power of his word. We want to use it as our defense, as our sword. We want to use it in the way that God designed it to be used in our life. Listen, I'm thankful that God has made a way for us to move beyond the fall. Because the reality is that we all fail. But God is bigger than that, church. Not only has Jesus paid for every failure on the cross, but God has also worked out every failure for your future success. Somehow, someway, He's used that in a way that He's molding it and making it out to come out for your good. So don't let your failure hold you back today. Move beyond the fall into the freedom that's provided through Christ. Amen? Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Lord. As we see even through the thread of Scripture, this idea of many, many pillars of the faith that have failed, and yet you use them, and you continue to use them. And Lord, that's encouraging for us today because no one in this room is perfect. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve eternal judgment, and yet, because of your grace, because of your love for us, you offer us life, and that more abundantly. And Lord, we're somewhere in that abundant life this morning for many of those who have come to Christ and put their faith in Him, and we're, we're living out this, this abundant life in some way, shape, or form in this world. And some of us have settled for the lesser of the abundant life that you would have for us. Oh, maybe it's because of our failures, Lord. Maybe it's because of the things that we have uh, done in our lives that we just can't get over. Lord, if I would have done this, if I wouldn't have done that, what would my life be like? And you would tell us, hey, leave it alone. I can use it in your life even now. Your past failures, I've incorporated in my plan. There's nothing you can do to outsmart me. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. Move beyond the failure. Allow me to meet you in that place today. And God wants you to be set free this morning. And He's declaring to you that there is victory in your past failures and yet for some, they don't trust the Lord in that promise. And so the Lord would tell you today to surrender that to Him.
you would just come before him this morning at the altar of grace. You would come forward and you would just say, Lord, I want to lay this down to your feet because it has been weighing on my shoulders and it's bound, it's bound me and I'm shackled in it and I'm timid and gun shy in this area of my life because I failed and I'm afraid to take a step. And you're saying, hey, have faith. And so I want to trust you at your word this morning. And I want to receive that freedom that you offer me in this area of my life. And if that's you this morning, just come to the altar this morning and you just lay it at the feet of the cross. God has done it all for you. You need not do anything but surrender this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're saying, hey, I need that, you come forward too. Some will be down here to pray with you and they'll lead you in a prayer that will open up that eternal life for you, that will open up forgiveness and cleansing and just an abundant life of blessing. And so this morning, as we just close with a song, I just want to encourage you to just allow the Spirit of God to move in your life and just be obedient to Him today. Don't be paralyzed with fear. Don't be paralyzed by failure. Listen, when you surrender this to the Lord, the enemy has no power over you in that area because you have now declared to the Lord it belongs to Him. And so Lord, we just ask You to move now through, our, through Your Spirit as we close in this song in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.